0: That grit inside of you that makes you determined to be successful or, or hit your goals is a really important trait to have. And I don't think I've ever seen a, a really gritty person not be able to find a way like that water. It Eventually somebody that has a strong mind is able to find a way to be successful. Welcome to the CEO Sessions, hosted by Ben Fanning. And here's Ben.
1: And welcome back. Today, I have Robert Henderson, who's the co-founder and CEO for Jump Crew, which actually partners with B2B companies to accelerate their customer acquisition. Robert launched Jump Crew back in 2016 after realizing how quickly the world was transitioning from in-person interactions to Internet and phone-based communications, and that, that traditional marketers and outside sales teams were actually struggling to understand the nuances around inside customer acquisition. And Jump Crew was founded as a tool that would easily and predictably scale inbound selling. So fast forward five years and Jump Crew has expanded over 400 employees with a full funnel product to integrate digital marketing with sales to accelerate their clients' business growth. This terrific company is based in Nashville, Tennessee. And here's a little bit of what you'll discover in this episode. Starting out with that joyous moment of what it's like getting people back to the office after a long pandemic in the big way that remote working and the great resignation and the great reshuffle. So we talk about it from different perspectives and the way this is all changing companies approach to engaging with their employees and customers. Then we dive into the advice that Robert would give his younger self, and we spend a few minutes on that. It may surprise you, make sure to check that out. Then we dive into the one trait he'd instill in every employee, and spoiler alert, it's grit. And we talk about Angela Duckworth, Bruce Lee, um, and we just have a great time diving into grit. You're gonna really like that piece. And then we dive into employee turnover and how to put people in the position to be themselves at work, which we talk about is a really hopeful solution to all of this. Let's dive in. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to com slash insight. Hello, Robert. Welcome to the CEO Sessions.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I'm, I'm excited to be here chatting with you today.
1: Now, one of the things everybody listening that Robert and I were just talking about, Robert gets on the link here and he is in one of the coolest offices I've ever seen. I think it's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, super modern, open and then he's like we just moved in. Right? You just moved in the office recently or?
0: We recently moved into the office post-covid and so we've we've actually had the office for a while but we we weren't working from here due to just being safe and all that good stuff.
1: Right. Okay, so now you're getting back in the office and you can really enjoy this place cuz it looks super hip.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun being in here and uh, getting to see people again. It's pretty cool.
1: What's been a memorable moment about getting back into the office after being out for for so long?
0: You know, it's interesting, the face-to-face interactions that you become so accustomed to when you're working in person and then become so not accustomed to when you're talking to somebody over the phone or over a video every single day, but you forget what being in the same room with that person feels like. And so it's, it's actually like a joyous moment. A lot of times you see somebody that you're so used to being around every single day for so many hours, every single day, and then you haven't seen them in person for however long. And then you see them in person again, it feels like this like cool reunion and, and it's usually kind of a fun moment. So that's been really nice for me lately.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And so Jump Crew Nation is happy to be back.
0: We are extremely excited to be coming back. It's funny, I, I just said the two words post COVID and then like scared myself because it's like we're not there right yet.
1: And <laughs> <Now> for the <laughs> listeners, we're-, we're not quite through this thing. There's this little variant Omicron and whatnot, so people are going back, going back, cautious, you know, in a very cautious kind of way. Anyway, it sounds looks like things are looking pretty good there at the office. Before we dive into your super interesting background, uh, what makes working at Jump Cruise so darn special?
0: I think it's the camaraderie. We love working together. We've grown together a lot, and so in that business sense, from taking a company from a small startup to being a company with almost four hundred people now, you can grow a lot of a lot of camaraderie in that time, and that's been really special and really fun for us. So the people are the number one thing that makes up every organization, and we love the people that we work with here at Jump Crew.
1: Yeah, always an appreciating asset, usually, your people. When you invest in them, the time, the energy, resources, they grow, and you've grown to 400. And what's what's the main thing that uh, Jump Crew does for, for those listeners who aren't familiar with you?
0: So we help business-to-business companies get more customers. And we sort of uniquely, in our space, integrate sales and marketing so most companies go out there and and hire an agency to to do their marketing and advertising and then they might hire a sales center to do their sales and then in a lot of other cases a consultant to do their sort of strategy and jump crew brings all those things together and produce a result which is new customers which is the whole point anyway (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and and i always laugh when when i'm talking to our partners you know There's sort of this age old dynamic where you sit in a boardroom and the sales folks go, marketing didn't do it. And the marketing folks say sales didn't do it. And everyone agrees that it's somebody else's fault. And we set out to create an environment where we hold ourselves accountable to to driving uh, uh, driving a result and worked very well. It's been exciting. And we believe that the future of of sales is is digital focused. And it's all about the content that businesses read online about products and services that they want. And being able to connect that content to an actual human being that will help you to buy it is uh, is our forte. And it's it's been a really exciting journey for
1: us. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you're driving accountability there. As my dad used to tell me, when I would be in church back in Alabama, and I would be pointing at someone. He said, son, every time you point at somebody, there are three fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> that's so right. Like, like the ultimate accountability <laughs> lesson <laughs> yeah. right there from dad.
0: Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And it's even happening more, I think, in a, in an evolving and changing world. I think as the way people buy has changed so much the uncertainty makes people more nervous about what's working and, and what's not working. I'm gonna go off on a little on a little tangent for you here for a minute, but something that a lot of people don't think of is just even even just as far as like the data. And so you have this thing called the great resignation that I'm sure you know about where oh, people yeah. are shifting jobs. We get a lot of phone all calls all, about that. Some people call it the great the reshuffling. I, the great reshuffling yes I think
1: I think it depend I think if you caught a red the great resignation or the great reshuffling May depend on how your organization's benefiting or not from it.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. There's 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 a lot of views on it, but it's it's a thing, it's a fact. And so little things like the fact that a lot of people move jobs and then the fact that a lot of people went from working in an office to working from a home environment meant that for B2B buyers, the contact person or information shifted massively in the last year John Doe at 212 in Manhattan is no longer John Doe at 212 in Manhattan because even if he's working in the same place or she's working in the same place they're working at home
1: yeah he's not in the office
0: yeah Yeah. so if if you're calling their phone saying hey do you want to buy my software there's a really great chance that they're not going to pick up
1: I love that dilemma yeah and so you guys are in deep with that right now and and solving that problem
0: yeah. so so we're we're in very deep with being very thoughtful about how we help our partners position themselves in in a changing world. That's just one of the pieces just just came to the top of my mind, just something as simple as data. We can't just, you know, pick up our phones anymore and call two one two something an office line and and expect to get a result. So it needs to be. A lot more thoughtful about how we're contacting people, how how we're messaging to them, where we're messaging to them. And gosh, so I
1: love that. I think a lot of people are facing that right now. I mean, we're even we're like recruiters or you know people in sales that want to get their message out. They can't find their people because they're at home. You know, they can't go see them at the office anymore. You know, it used to be you, you could go into an office and you would go see maybe a prospect or someone that you have an account with, and then you'd run into other people in the office. Well, no one's been in the office, so that's so taking away these meetings. Are you seeing that? Uh, you know, LinkedIn has been one of the primary ways to go about it, or, or are there other tools that people are using to uh, to reach out and connect?
0: I think it's a two pronged factor. It's the message and it's the medium. You know, you see all these funny memes about that could have been an email. Well, the world is really moving to that could have been an email, and so you know, some of the things that we're seeing is you know a lot of companies. Try to tell their whole story and articulate their value prop and get into a lot of granular detail in the content that they're messaging people either through you know messaging apps or Mm -hmm. emails or whatever and we just see that that doesn't work people's attention span is just extremely short so in the first place helping companies figure out how to get really punchy and communicate something that does deliver a value proposition and does help the prospect understand what you're talking about without being some lengthy, you know, diatribe about why you're the best at whatever it is that you're doing is really Super important going into 22. And then the other thing is, you know, humanizing the automation piece of things because it just feels like we're getting spammed like crazy with every automatic email and text and everything else. And just figuring out how to personalize really short and condensed information, I think, is the order of the day right now.
1: I absolutely love that. And thank you <laughs> because. <laughs> yes i am getting hit with it you know in, in my smaller training and consulting business a lot from people from automations you can just like a linkedin alone it's it's terrible but with emails people want to get on the podcast it's just it's relentless but you can usually tell not always when it's a personal you know someone's mentioned you mentioned or they mentioned your profile or they mentioned hey you know listen to robert's podcast and i thought this was really helpful let's talk you know there there's there's that side of where people take interest and it's just like bring more humanity uh, to it. And thank God for brevity. And uh, that is going to be so important as we move forward, because like you say, uh, people's attention spans are plummeting. And I think we were able to just complain about that for a while and say, oh, it's those millennials and they have their their attention spans are so low. But turns out everybody's attention span is decreasing.
0: That is so true. It is so true. When I first started jump crew, my concept, and I never used it as a as a tagline, but my concept was where science meets art. And I think it's a, a part of a part of transacting that is really changed in the last 10 years where, you know, we went from this place where sales and marketing was an art form. We figure out how to get people interested in our product through very creative means. And then it almost went 100% the other way i think in the in the mid 2000s 2010 2012 where it was like kpis driven you know this many impressions this many clicks this many form fills turn into this many customers and today i feel like most companies are trying to find that middle ground where they can they can really understand the data of their marketplace but also help their sales and marketing teams be creative about how they position themselves and how they contact their prospects. So it's a pretty exciting world to be in, and obviously there's no shortage of people who are looking to be more efficient at getting their products and services into into distribution in 2022.
1: Well, I could spend literally this entire episode talking to you about Jump Crew and what you're doing, but I want to dig into your background a little bit. I think a lot of the listeners are are going to benefit from this. So let's start out taking a little bit of a deep dive into your background. What advice would you give your younger self today or what's something you would have tried earlier in your career?
0: The advice that I would give myself is definitely to be patient. I went out there like a, a bull in a China shop right away, and I really thought uh, I should have conquered the world in the first six months. And um, it didn't turn out that way, and I was really, really disappointed. In the, in the context of like the last 10 years and how, how my career has grown, when I look at it in a decade, in hindsight, it looks really fast, <laughs> like it looks accelerated. Like, man, all of that happened in a decade and I'm I'm a I'm about to turn 40, full disclosure, so I've been thinking about the last decade. Happy birthday. Thank you, I've been thinking about the last decade more. And so one of the things I reflected on is like, if I was just a little bit more patient and I understood what I needed to get through to get me to the next step, I think I would have enjoyed every step in the process a lot more, because I was so impatient to get to this other place I didn't enjoy the journey as much as I possibly could have. And so if I had to talk to my 30-year-old self and certainly my 20-year-old self, I'd say, you know what? Have fun and enjoy the whole thing. You know, you don't need to be the CEO tomorrow. It's going to be enough pressure and stress when you're you're 40, you know, take time to just enjoy the paces and have some fun.
1: Yes. You might have accomplished the same results, but with less stress, enjoy the ride a little more. Because it's really hard to tell your younger self. I kind of remember telling my wife, who's my girlfriend at the time, how frustrated I was with the leadership of our company and how I could do the vice president's job very easily, even though I'd only been at <laughs> college for like two years. Uh, you know, it was like just feeling like it should already uh, have happened. And there's this idea of patience, which I think also allows you to learn more because you're being patient with the process. You're taking the time to really dive a little deeper, maybe ask some questions. Then just be so results driven that you forget to do that. I don't know what's your yeah,
0: on? absolutely. And and I think in hindsight you realize like a year isn't a long time. Two years isn't even really a long time. And at at the time, you know, in my twenties, I thought like, man, if a year passes by and I haven't learned to do X, Y, Z, or I haven't conquered the world, I'm just a complete failure. And and in hindsight, it it is a lot better i think to take things slowly to think things through to recognize that you you actually have a lot of time to to learn things and just kind of give yourself some time to mature because there are certain things in a career and certainly in life but there there are certain things that they just need to percolate a little bit and you can't really speed them up and for me in in my process of of development I've come to value all of the different experiences that I've had so much. And you start to recognize like the value of those experience and how it's molded you into being the leader that you are. And so I think when I think about that advice that I would give myself, it would really be like, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Don't put, don't stress yourself out. Just accept that, you know, you're, you're, you're going through this journey, enjoy the journey. And when you get there, it'll be because the timing is right for you.
1: I love that distinction you just said. You said the word journey. I think mean, that's a that's a critical thing that people think about in their careers because I started my career out as believing it was a race. I am here to win this thing and to dominate. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to win the race, dominate my competition. And in fact, when you look at it as a journey, it's like, hey, this is my journey that I'm on, almost like a pilgrimage. I'm I don't even necessarily know where this is going to end, and it's more like it's not even really a marathon. It just goes on, right? There really is no end state. And if you just think about that powerful metaphor there, I think it can really help people step into what you're talking about, which is having more patience in their career.
0: It's the patience. And I think the patience brings joy. If you're ready to embrace where you are and make the best of where you are and enjoy where you are. And obviously all of us plan for the future and all of us have goals and aspirations and hopes but if you constantly live in all your goals and aspirations and hopes, you're kind of in a way trying to like keep up with the Joneses, I think, you know, you're tr- trying to get to where somebody else is or whatever that is, just being present and being where you are and enjoying where you are and and always pushing yourself to be better, but not to a point where it takes away from your joy, I think is really
1: important. Yeah. The second level, what you're talking about there is running your own race or running your, being on your own journey versus looking at everybody else on their journey and saying, man, that person is 30 years old and they are, they're a vice president already. And you're not. And a mentor of mine gave me the advice, Ben, to compare is to despair.
0: I That's a good else. one. But, to compare but, is to despair. Yeah. I like
1: that. And usually when I'm despairing, there's some kind of comparison going on there. <laughs>
0: yeah. To... Yeah. That's a good point.
1: So let's fast forward this a little bit to today. What's the one trait you'd instill in every employee and why?
0: That one is a really easy one. For anyone that knows me, grit. 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 All right. So if you walk uh, in
1: tomorrow and the office is grittier, what how do you know? Like what, what's different there?
0: So I think the trait is that, and there's 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 a lot of data that backs this up, especially in, in in the sales and marketing world, but it's easy to fail the first time. Every one of us that tried to do something the first time probably failed. It's easy to fail the second time. It's easy to fail the third time. It's easy to fail the fourth time. It's really hard to fail the 10th time, the 11th time and the 12th time. And I really believe that if you put your mind to something and you're passionate about it and it has value and it solves a problem, there is going to be a way. There is. There's going to to be a solution. And as as a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, uh, used to say, "Water finds a way. There's always a way, and water will find it. Water finds a way." Yeah, I and, that and Bruce
1: Lee saying? I don't remember what exactly what the saying was, but he's like, "Be like water, because water." Be like
0: water. Yes, yeah. be yeah. like water. That friend was a mixed martial artist, so he might have oh. taken that one from Bruce Lee. Yeah,
1: or maybe they have this had the same mentor.
0: That's an interesting documentary,
1: it. by the way, the Bruce Lee documentary that came out about a year or two ago. Oh, really?
0: I'm going to read that talks a lot It talks about
1: one. a lot about that. And Bruce Lee's background is very surprising. It's he wanted to be an actor way before he wanted to be in martial arts. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Anyway, get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover? is $235,975 per employee per year. If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Well, this grit thing, that, this is big. I remember reading uh, Angela Duckworth.
0: That's right, Yes. So, so you read about this too. Have you yes. read about
1: Okay. Yes. So when you were looking at Angela's stuff and I there was this thing about Beast Barracks at West Point where she did this study. Yes, that's right. Uh, I guess where and she came up with these characteristics of, of of all the of all the people that actually stuck it out at West Point and mm-hmm. And, and I started
0: cool. comparing it to the things I know and the people I know and my own experiences. And it was a, a big aha moment. What I really appreciate that Angela did is she put a term on it for us, right? Because all of us understood the concept before we, we heard Angela or read the book, but she, she put a term on it that I think is, is really helpful. And it's important for us to talk about it and think about it because the expectation for whatever reason and maybe it's you know all the content that's flashed in front of us every day or whatever the case might be but the expectation that a lot of us have is that you know things are going to be easy it's going to be simple we're just going to roll into our desks and you know change the world and it doesn't exactly work that way as as you might have noticed and so to me that that grit inside of of you that makes you determined to be successful or, or hit your goals is, is a really important trait to have. And I've, I don't think I've ever seen a, a really gritty person not be able to find a way like that water. It eventually somebody that has a strong mind is able to find a way to be successful. And I just think it's a really important concept for all of us to instill in ourselves.
1: So when's a moment when grit was helpful to you?
0: Oh, man, I can, <laughs> I can think of a pretty recent one. I think those first two weeks of COVID, it was very helpful to me. I think that a lot of people that I know or knew or did uh, business with, there were two ways that people reacted to it. One of the ways was, you know, run, hide, sit and wait. And we all, I'm sure, experienced some of that. And the other one was, you know, to really get up and, and make moves and and be proactive and do what you could do in, in a really tough situation. And it's interesting, two years later, we're just talking about it like, oh, yeah, the first couple of weeks of COVID and whatever. It, my world, uh, our world, our jump crew world was dramatically changing in overnight, you know, and trying to figure out how we were going to be productive and work from home and you know something as simple as email systems and communication and all these things it, it felt really daunting and frankly it felt scary and I think that like that principle of grit inside of me that I was just gonna going to fight really hard to keep everything intact was really useful in that situation and then I obviously can't give myself all the credit I think as a culture we we really have a a gritty organization and all the people that stepped up and said, you know what, we're going to figure this out. We're going to not, not miss a beat. And it was really, now I actually look back on that time fondly, believe it or not.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, several, I think it sounds like it really was a time of, of growth for your own company, but it also brought your team together. And that's gotta be a sign of grit too, is in tough times instead of a team breaking apart and running from the hills and pointing fingers, as we talked about earlier, The team comes together in a unified way, and obviously, you guys and the jump crew did so. Uh, absolutely, maybe you'll write the next book on grit,
0: maybe. Um, and get Angela on board and
1: endorse it. it, I'll
0: I'll need to get Angela on board, and and um, I I need to get be quite gritty about my learning of the mastery of grammar in the English language because my (laughs) um, my emails are notoriously poorly written.
1: God bless the editors in the world. Well, as you probably know, we talked a little bit bit about it, but we work with leaders a lot around the catastrophic costs of turnover and trying to reduce it and control it in their organizations. Our research shows it can cost over $235,000 per employee per year. So it really adds up. We include the time to hire and them taking customers potentially with them. It's just a real threat for organizations. Do you believe that this is something that organizations should be uh, taking a look at and tracking for themselves?
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think it's, it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge across the board for every organization to figure out how to create a home for their community. And like everybody else, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, we've certainly seen a lot of shifting. For us, some of the shifting was in office to virtual, and then some of the shifting was virtual to, you know what, now that I'm sitting at home thinking about everything I could potentially be doing, I just realized I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go and be a landscaper, or I want to go and learn a completely different career, and so on. And so just like everybody else, we've certainly experienced the idea that many, many people are sort of rethinking their entire careers and trying to understand what's right for them. And it's been a learning experience for us as a leadership team and certainly for me. And the main thing that I can say about the learning experience is it's a really important thing to track, but it's also a more equally as important to track it in the context of who are we bringing into the organization? Because at the end of the day, I believe that when people are aligned and when people are put in the opportunity to be the best version of themselves, they really enjoy what they're doing and therefore help to create a community of people that are having a great time. And that catastrophic cost doesn't need to be realized because they're going to stay with the company for a lot longer. And when there's misalignment there, You know, for me, I think a lot of people take a a negative view on misalignment. For me, it's not a negative thing. If I go get a job as a landscaper and I decide that I want to be a software engineer or the other way around, I'm a software engineer and I decide I really want to be outside, that's a personal choice that is logical and people should, should make those personal choices. But the misalignment is when we haven't collectively come to that decision at the entry point it's very unlikely that the relationship is going to last over time. And so my learning, and this is something I've probably learned in the last 24 months of my life, my learning as a CEO has been to take a lot more rigor on the front end, to be a lot more thoughtful and ask the right questions about what you're into. What do you want to do? What do you you enjoy? What makes you happy? Because if, if you bring those people into the organization, they're very likely to stay. If they're, if they're not fulfilled and happy in their role, you would hope that they would find something that they are fulfilled and happy in. And then that's what, what leads to, to high turnover and high costs.
1: A, a very helpful insight there. Save money by getting it right and putting the, you, you know, the rigor on the front side. And I think a lot of these questions, by the way, about alignment are critical. But what ends up happening, I figure uh, you may be asking these questions to people who are interviewing who've never thought about this for themselves. So you're asking some big, bold questions. And the listeners, these are great questions to be thinking about, right? What's the work that lights you up, energizes you? What kind of work environment really invigorates you? So when you're interviewing with Robert, you've thought through these questions for yourselves, because for me, years ago. Um, I had a big dream of the corner office and I got really good at interviewing and sort of selling myself into the position, having not really done the self-awareness work to the kind of work that would be a great fit for me. And so finally had the corner office, but it wasn't doing the right kind of work. And I really had to reinvent myself in that. And I wrote a book about it, (laughs) the quit alternative. So it was a really big process. And I just love the fact that you're emphasizing that and you're, and you're not afraid as a hiring organization to ask those big, deep questions more than, well, you know, what, like, do you have this programming language experience? Of course you need to have that, but you're asking the deeper questions to find that right fit. And I love the idea of it's not just the alignment to the work, but you're also emphasizing alignment to the culture. And I think, I mean, those those are two great things to determine in advance, and uh, I definitely make sense that people would stick around a lot longer and and be more engaged.
0: Yeah, and I like to give an example. You know, one of the one of the examples that I give is the difference between working in a startup organization and working in a a Fortune hundred organization. Both of those things are super cool depending on your personality, right? If you have a personality, and so I'm not gonna name the organization, but let's say there's an organization that's the largest healthcare company in the country. And there's an organization that's a hundred person startup. For the right temperament and the right goals, either one of those companies could be an amazing experience. If you mismatch the person with either one of those companies, either of those people could be completely miserable. And so if you put an entrepreneur like myself in the world's largest healthcare company, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to operate in in an environment where things are really regimented and structured, and you have to go through, you know, a hundred steps of and if to get anything done, and so on and so forth. And the other side of that is true for, you know, maybe a CEO of that company coming and trying to run Jump Crew, they would be like, Oh my god, you have no resources, you know what I mean? Or whatever, yeah, totally whatever different the, skills, the totally
1: different mindset. It's like being. It's like, you're, okay, you're, congratulations, your CMO or CIO of Jump Crew versus your CIO of Honeywell. Or, you know, it's just the problems you're facing and the resources you have and your day to day, they're just different.
0: Yeah, totally. And so we, we get back to that interview portion where I, I think that people are becoming more aware now. Of like, what do I want to do? What what makes sense for me? How do I want to align myself to the future? And I think a lot of the the reshuffle is about that, is people asking themselves that question. And I think it's a good question. I think I personally I encourage people to ask themselves that person as a human, as an organization, or and for most organizations, we need to get better at figuring out the signs for that alignment and figuring out how to really make sure that we're, that we're getting the right people for the right roles. One of the things that I find most interesting, and it's really fascinating is, you know, on my one-on-ones near the end of the year, I always do like a ton of skip levels. I did like 50 skip levels in December. And so the theme of how we work is something that comes up in pretty much every skip level that I do. And it's divided almost in half exactly where people have come to me and said rob i'm really struggling with this work from home thing i'm so tired of moving from my bedroom into my dining room from my dining room back into my bedroom bedroom dining room dining room bedroom that's tiring for some personalities and the almost exactly other 50 percent are saying Rob, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm thriving. I'm spending so much more time with my family. I have time to you know, do an errand between meetings. I pick my own schedule. I work earlier. I work later, whatever. This is amazing. And so again, I do think that things like that are preference and personality. And as corporations and as individuals, all of us need to maybe do a better job of being self-aware about what actually works for us.
1: I love it. Socrates said, know thyself. It turns out he was onto something. What's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired?
0: (laughs) So I had a coworker, that I'd worked with for for quite some time. she and I had a fabulous relationship. we we really enjoyed working together. this is about ten years ago. She was a content creator. she was on our marketing team, she managed our website, she wrote a lot of our blogs and and did some really great work. And her and I just had a, a really good bond and really enjoyed working together. I was a uh, a few years I was a VP at the time I was as a few years ahead of her and you know she was probably, sort of entry level. And so I really saw myself as like her mentor and her, her guide and helped her through her career as we grew. And after working together for about two years, we go to happy hour one night. And so there's, there's a whole big group of us and we're, we're having a drink after work. And I think we were celebrating something. I can't remember exactly what happened, but she came up to me. She said, you know, I have a question that I've never asked you before. And I, um, I was like, "What? what is it? And she goes, "Um, what do you think is the most impactful thing that you ever did to make you successful? And I didn't really think much about the answer when when I said this to her, but I told her, you know what, traveling the world really expanded my my mind. And having the experience of, of leaving the US and seeing other cultures, other ways of life, other perspectives, really has helped me in my career be more open-minded and be a, a, a more broad thinker to the possibilities that exist. And this was up in New York, outside of, of New York, which, you know, if, if, you, if you spend any time in New York, you know, it's like, we don't leave those little islands. You know, we're, we're like there all the time. And so I, I told her this quite passionately. It was less than a week later and it might have been the next day. She <laughs> comes to me and hands in her resignation. And I almost hit the floor. I'm like, wait, what? Why would you be weaving? He says, Well, Rob, I, I thought I thought a lot about what you told me. And I think you're right. <laughs> she says, I think that uh, I think I need to go explore- explore the world and really uh, broadened my horizons in order to be an, a successful executive. So I'm going to be leaving in two weeks. And I was just crushed. <laughs> I was crushed. And um, no, you
1: followed my advice to a T. Oh to my a T, T.
0: It was terrible. And her and I still have a great relationship to this day. Like I say, that was a decade ago. We still have a great relationship to this day, but it wasn't so funny for me at the time. I can laugh about it now, but oh, it wasn't man. so funny for yeah, me. Yeah, that,
1: that's great. Yeah. Career advice gone wrong, or or maybe yeah. totally gone right, depending on your <laughs> on your thing. So I think uh, it
0: went right for her and wrong for me. Yeah. So <laughs> so when's the
1: time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career? How did it, how did it lead to your success on down the road?
0: Unexpected twist or failure. I'm gonna go back to to COVID. That was definitely an unexpected twist for me. But I think that that quarter, I think Q1 of 2020, will always be something that I remember and I think it really shaped my perspective on a lot of things. It helped me to try to organize us in a way that would have more scenario planning involved, if this than that. Ah, yes. In the past, I was very straightforward, let's go up that hill, right? And now I start thinking about scenarios a little bit more because of...
1: Didn't scenario plan for a global pandemic, did
0: you? I did not. I did not do any scenario planning. A funny story,
1: we actually closed on a commercial property in November before the pandemic. And I did a scenario plan. I had 50 different scenarios. Really? But global pandemic was not one of them. (laughs)
0: So- <laughs> Man, so close,
1: so close. Yeah, we do the exact same thing. Like, yeah, look, well, I need to expand my scenario planning next time. Yeah, yeah. But we navigated okay, but yeah, please. Continue. I don't. I don't
0: know if pandemic would have reached my scenario planning, even if I had done that. But I think it's a mind space of when when you start thinking about all the things that could happen. I think it's easier to react to to the things that have happened. I also think that it was a, a huge lesson in leadership. And it, because of the nature of how unexpected it was for me, it was one of those things where you didn't, you didn't really get the opportunity to think that much. You had to react and, and be in the moment. And that was, um, that, that was a really interesting twist, as you said, to my leadership development and journey.
1: You, you know, I love that reflection. And I think so much, a lot of people were managing before the pandemic. But the difference between managing and leading is, you know, managing is doing the same thing over and over and over, and became more efficient, more effective. We're leading, you're really charting your own course. and It forced people to get deeper into leadership during their day, because there was no playbook uh, for that. It kind of sounds like you put one together pretty quick though, for a pandemic leadership. I, I wish
0: I, I wish I could take all the credit for that. You know, our our leadership team was amazing and you know maybe maybe because of the fact that we're a learning organization we learned very quickly but now with the difference in in operating processes it sort of seems seamless looking back on it like oh yeah it just happened you know
1: so easy it was so easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah the blood sweat and tears well man this has been great i only got to like half the questions that i had intended to get to today but but wrapping this up so i guess we'll have to have you back if, if you'll join us again but Wrapping this up, uh, what's a parting thought or something that we didn't have time to get to that you want to mention for, uh, for the listeners today?
0: Um, my parting thought? Well, uh, first of all, thank you. I've really enjoyed hanging out with you today and and chatting. Definitely some thought-provoking conversation. I guess from, from a leadership perspective, uh, I think my parting thought would be that, you know, we, we started off when when you asked me what I would say to my younger self about sort of being patient. I think that we're living in a world that's moving so quickly that a lot of people, myself included, sometimes forget to sort of enjoy the journey and the fact that it it is a journey and it's this this process of growth that it, it can be really fulfilling if you start to think about it that way and position yourself in a way where each day you're getting just a little bit better, either as an individual or as an organization. And I think there's a sort of an art to growth. And once you open yourself up to that art, you start to to put yourself in a position to really be successful. And for me, that formula is all about being as coachable as I possibly can, and listening to the people around me that have either gone before me or have a different perspective and just trying to open up my mind and let the information come in and try to really enjoy that process as opposed to seeing it as being a task. And I think in professional development, that really makes a big difference about the way that you 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 view your work life.
1: Yeah, I love that because you said the word opening yourself to growth. Like, hey, growth's available to everyone. The question is, Are you open to the experiences, right, to processing that? And you talked about being coachable. Do you have an executive coach that you work with?
0: I do. I, I have been. I'm as lucky as you can possibly get in that side of of my life. And maybe it's because I've opened myself up to it. I do have an executive coach. I have a business partner that has a lot more experience than I do. My my co-founder, David Pachter. I have a group of CEOs that I regularly bug to tell me anything they know, but it's been a, a big change in, in my journey when I really opened myself up to other people's perspective and opinions and actually go out of my way to ask people what they think and just soak up that information like a sponge. I've, I really feel like it makes the journey a lot more enjoyable when, when you view learning and development as an opportunity all the time.
1: Was there a specific moment in your career where you said, man, I need to change the way I've been doing things and and uh, try this different approach?
0: Yeah, I think it was fairly early in being a CEO, probably about a year in. I was really getting tired, worn out, stressed out, quickly growing company. I felt like I needed to come up with all the decisions and have all the answers and, and obviously nobody does. And so it was it was a, a little bit of a stressful period in my life. And I just realized that if I would spend more time asking good questions and crowdsourcing information from all around me, I could be a lot more of a successful CEO, but it's not only that I could be a more successful CEO, it's the quality of my decisions could be better um, because you're using big data, right? You're, you're getting all these inputs of information from all of these sources that you trust, just how Google search works, and, and you're coming up with the best solution Or best information based on asking questions and being open to the answers. And so it was a change moment for me.
1: Did you create your group of CEOs? Is this a group that you curated or a group that you've put together over time or you're part of an organization or how does it work?
0: It was going well for me. So I leaned into it uh, a little bit more. So initially it was mainly about me reaching out to to people that that I knew, and it was a mental shift that I made from I know everything to okay, I don't know everything. I need to <laughs> I need to ask for some help. And so making that mental shift, of course, was was the first important one. But but then uh, once I started seeking advice and seeking help, I found it to be so gratifying and so effective. And then once I started asking it of other people, it also opened the the door for them to ask me for my opinion on on a lot of things as well, because we had that sort of open door relationship. And so when I started reaching out to more people, more people started reaching out to me. And like anything else, you create a community around that. And and that was the first couple of years on that. Eventually I ended up joining YPO, which is sort of a, a form for for young young CEOs that that has helped me out as well. So I had the informal version for a long time and and then I, I moved on to the formal
1: version. Yeah, fantastic. I love that. Um, you know, I I had I got an executive coach back in the day and I was so inspired by it. I pursued my training to become an executive coach. So I offer that now, but I still have multiple coaches that I work with. I'm such a believer in it because that kind of unbiased feedback is, is golden. And, um, man, it can make a big, big difference. And it's definitely Rob, a a common thread throughout the CEO session interviews where a lot of leaders have coaches because they find a lot of value in it. So yeah, thanks. You know, what's
0: so cool coaches normalize asking yourself hard questions. And Ooh, uh-huh. that is a game changer for me. So I wasn't in the habit of asking myself questions I didn't want to ask myself before I had a coach, <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe you I would hear like-
1: coaches coaches questions popping in your brain.
0: You're like, okay. Yes, so so it's a framework for thinking, and so I I was in the habit of asking myself those questions. But when I when I got into the habit of asking myself those questions, I was better prepared to deal with a lot of things that maybe are difficult to deal with as a leader. And so I really found that part of the framework to be really cool. Of like, okay, now I've, my coach has kind of normalized asking myself. Tough questions that I wouldn't normally ask myself, you know, and I think that's fun. I think it's exciting, and again, it's it's all part of the journey. And if you enjoy those little moments of of reflection, it can be it can be really rewarding.
1: Well, a great cherry on top uh, for uh, for the interview today, Rob. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate
0: it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it.
1: If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to BenFanning.com/quit receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, the blueprint for creating a job you love without quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping.